All right, ladies and gentlemen, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman, and today I'm giving you my rapid reaction to the highs and lows of the Falcons 30-17 to Week 13 loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So guys, you know me, I'm Aaron Freeman, been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at falcfans.com, RIP, still going strong, however, on Twitter, at falcfans, and of course, the host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And of course, you can find my written content as well, in addition to this audio content, on the Falcoholic, the SB Nation website for the Atlanta Falcons. And of course, today's episode, we are giving you the rapid reaction to the Falcons week 13 loss of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They dropped that game 30 to 17. The record now falls to five and seven. We're coming at you a few hours after the game ended on Sunday night to give you sort of my big takeaways from this game. We'll be breaking down the game summary for any of those that missed the game or need a refresher on sort of the highs and lows and, and, and the, positives and negatives uh, from the Falcons in this game, who stood out, all those various things. Then we'll get into my grades for each phase of the game, talking pass and rushing offense, pass and rushing defense, as well as special teams. And then we'll get, sort of get into my big thoughts, and that will be including revisiting the conversation about the coaching versus the talent and we sort of where are we with Arthur Smith after this game and, and sort of if there were some positives from the Falcons in this game that make us feel a little bit better about Arthur Smith or worse about Arthur Smith and this team's uh, potential uh, to to start winning some games the rest of the season and, and remain in the playoff picture, although they're barely hanging on. Uh, but with that being said, I want to thank you guys uh, for making Lockdown Falcons your first listen each and every day. And of course, Lockdown Falcons is free and available on a variety of podcast platforms, including Apple, Odyssey, Google, and Spotify, as well as now free and available on YouTube. Make sure you hit that subscribe button when you visit the Lockdown Falcons YouTube channel. Make sure you hit that like button as well. Leave a comment if you dare. Uh, how you know? How dare you? Uh, no, but uh, yeah, that's what I wanted to say before we get into the game summary. And you know, starting out this game you know it was a big improvement for the falcons defense going up against this bucks team you go back to that week two matchup the falcons allowed the bucks to go 75 yards in six plays thanks to three 20 plus yard gains on the bucks opening drive and this time the falcons let the bucks go down the field and score but it took them 13 plays to go 75 yards for that opening touchdowns and the bucks even had to convert a fourth and four to extend that drive uh, and the falcons didn't give up a single game of more than 15 yards on that drive uh, but of course it still resulted in points thanks to leonard fournette beating deon jones in a flat route uh, and tom brady lobbing it up over Deion Jones's head on a three-yard score. The Falcons did, however, respond with the fast start that we needed them to have this week to have a chance against this Bucks team's getting their first opening drive touchdown of the 2021 season on a six-play drive of their own, thanks to a big play from Cordero Patterson on a 39-yard run uh, to the left. 
uh, of all places on a crack toss play. They got good blocks from Jalen Mayfield on that play. Caleb McGarry, Matt Hennessy also had some good blocks hitting their assignments downfield on that particular play. You also had Patterson doing the thing that we know Patterson does well, you know, breaking a couple of tackles, avoiding a couple of tacklers in the open field. And then on the very next play, Mike Davis finished off the drive, running to the left side again on a stretch play, getting good blocks from Hennessy and Lindstrom downfield for a 17-yard scoring run. Of course, the Bucks found their big play offense on their second possession of the game, got a 25-yard catch from Chris Godwin on a fade over Richie Grant. Two plays later, Brady hit Mike Evans on a 36-yarder uh, where it looked like the Falcons uh, had a little bit of a blown coverage maybe. It looked like they were running some version of an inverted cover two and A.J. Terrell was come playing underneath and expecting some deep help uh, on the vertical route. But it was Chris Godwin, I think it was, holding Richie Grant, who was responsible for the deep half of the field, uh, playing that inverted cover two. And, and uh, Grant got kind of held by uh, Godwin's vertical route. And, and that basically let Evans run free behind uh, Terrell for the big play. And then a few plays later, uh, Brady and Cameron Brait finished off the drive with a three-yard catch again over uh, Deion Jones. And the Falcons failed to respond thanks to a drop from Tajay Sharp on the ensuing series. And then Indomitian Sue got the first of his two sacks on the day and the first of five sacks on the day for the Bucks uh, today. And it wasn't really the Falcons tackles that were struggling. It was as uh, we kind of expected going into this game, the interior of the offensive line that really struggled uh, giving up the pressure evidenced by the Sue sack. And there will be other sacks from guys like Vita Vea later in the game, the Falcons defense, did force a three and out and Russell Gage then had a big 19 yard catch to extend the ensuing drive on a third and 10. Then you had Mike um, or on that particular play, you had Matt Ryan doing a good job uh, stepping up in the pocket to avoid pressure. Then on a third and nine later in that drive, Kyle Pitts had a big 29 yard uh, play, making a nice leaping grab over the middle. Gage then converted another third down and the Falcons got a weak roughing the passer call going against the Bucks on a throwaway by Matt Ryan in the end zone. Um, Gage's catch got the Falcons down to the one yard line. The roughing the passer gave him a new set of downs. And then the Falcons basically had three chances to punch it in from the one yard line and failed to do so. And it was a little surprising to see Arthur Smith go away from the concert or the, the generally conservative run first attack that he has been known for this season. And especially on this day where the Falcons were running the ball so effectively uh, prior to this point uh, in the game with their eight runs, seven of them being successful runs combining for 91 yards up to this point. And then the Falcons didn't run a single run play. Although to be fair, the second and goal play looked like it was potentially going to be a run play that had a botched exchange from center drew Dahlman and the Falcons did recover it. And yes, Drew Dolman was in the game because the Falcons did the thing that they did last week against Jacksonville, platooning Drew Dolman and Matt Hennessy at the center position. Hennessy got the first two series. Dolman got the next two. I think after uh, the botch snap that Dolman had, and then he had another one on his second series. I don't recall seeing Dolman in the second half, so I think the Falcons scrapped that, but maybe I missed it or whatever the case may be. And we talked earlier this week about how platooning offensive linemen is not a major, major issue, at least based off my film study. But this is one of those risks that you run uh, when you do have a new guy, particularly at the center position, where you can have you know some things get screwed up with some of these exchanges, and that was on full display. 
today. So after that second and goal, you know, botch snap exchange, the Falcons on third and goal, Matt Ryan tried to throw the ball to Cordero Patterson. It was broken up by Jamel Dean. There was a lot of contact on the play, but no flag on the play. And young way uh went in to kick the 21 yard field goal. And that cut Tampa Bay's lead to 13 to 10. And by the way, Tampa Bay missed the point after touchdown on their previous score on break. Um, then the Bucks were able to move the ball down the field pretty easily after that point, got a touchdown on a nine play scoring drive capped off with a 27 yard catch from tight end Rob Gronkowski, who beat Jalen Hawkins on a crossing pattern. Hawkins dove to try to break up the pass. Couldn't, you know, hit the ball and, and Gronk was able to cruise into the end zone for a touchdown. Uh, you had a defensive holding penalty on Carlton Davis, preventing the Falcons from, you know, following up that Gronk score with a three and out. Uh, and then you had Dolman's uh, next second botch exchange uh, just before the two minute warning hit Quadri Olison got in the game converted a third and two on an eight yard catch but then the next third down try there was too much pressure on Matt Ryan uh, and the Falcons couldn't convert and the team punted the ball back to the Bucks with 44 seconds left in the half pinning them inside the 10 yard line and Brady's second pass on that ensuing series in the flat to Leonard Fournette was read perfectly by Marlon Davidson who Brady seemingly did not see dropping into coverage on that play. He was able to sort of jump the throwing lane and walked into the end zone for a three yard pick six interception touchdown return. And it looked like with that score uh, going down, um, you know, three points at halftime, 20 to 17 that the Falcons potentially had some life because they were going to get the ball to start off the second half and maybe take a lead here and really make this a game. Of course, they did not do that because of the Falcons. And um, you saw Russell Gage getting a nice grab on a third and 13 over the middle uh, in, in turning up field uh, and converting, uh, but then was stripped from behind by Bucks backup cornerback Pierre Desir. Carlton Davis recovered the ball. Uh, fortunately, the Falcons defense uh, did not give up points on the ensuing Bucks series, forcing a three and out thanks to Tom Brady missing an open Mike Evans on a go ball. And the Falcons next series in the third quarter saw them convert a third and one on short yardage, seemingly for the first time ever this season. They've converted a couple, but it's been rare occurrences. And it was a one yard run by Cordero Patterson up the middle and they barely converted but it still counts. Then a couple plays later, they had another third and one and they did a jet sweep to Alameda Zacchaeus showing that Arthur Smith is willing at least on one play to diversify uh, his run game a little bit today from the usual, like four or five uh, of the same runs that he seems to like to run over and over again. Then you had Russell Gage adding 16 yards on a screen pass and the Falcons found themselves in Bucks territory, but then things kind of stalled out for them. Carlton Davis broke up a second down throw to Kyle Pitts. And then on third down, Matt Ryan was sacked again by Indomitian Sue, who bullied Jalen Mayfield for another sack, the fourth sack of the game at this point in time. The Falcons uh, punted the ball, the Bucks dinked and dunked their way down the field on a 14 play, 87 yard uh, scoring drive uh, that bled off most of the remaining six minutes of the third quarter that included three third down conversions with the third one being an 11 yard catch uh, by Rob Gronkowski for a score where he was able to beat Eric Harris. Uh, it was a perfect throw by Tom Brady over his shoulder. Perfect placement there. And the box went up 27 to 17 going into the fourth quarter. The Falcons responded with a three and out uh, thanks to Vita Vea getting his second sack of the day on a third down blowing right past Jalen Mayfield to start the fourth quarter. The Falcons would get one more chance really to make this a game 
at this point, uh, getting the ball back with about 11 and a half minutes left in the game after a Bucks punt. They nearly lost the possession on the punt uh, where the ball bounced off Avery Williams's leg, but fortunately it first bounced off of the arm of a Bucks defender, and that basically resulted in a dead ball due to the rules. Uh, you saw two good catches from Mike Davis, a 20-yard gain and a 16-yard gain uh, where he really utilized his ability after the catch, but the latter, the 16-yard gain, was wiped out with a holding call on Lee Smith. Uh, but the Falcons did manage to convert a third and 14 thanks to a big leaping grab by Russell Gage for 17 yards. Then on the ensuing third and two beyond midfield, Matt Ryan was questioned, or I'm sorry, Matt Ryan was pressured with a questionable play call and threw it away to avoid the sack, and they wound up calling him uh, for intentional grouting. It was the correct call. Uh, but the Falcons opted to punt the ball at that point rather than going for it on fourth and 12. Uh, it would have been a very tough fourth and 12 to convert, but you kind of think playing the field position game and playing hoping your defense was going to get another stop was a certainly a questionable decision at that point down 10 points uh, with basically like seven and a half minutes left in the game. And uh, the reason why that play call on third and two was questionable, uh, the Falcons put their heavy personnel, their 22 personnel on the field. And, you know, you had Pitts, Lee Smith and um, Parker Hesse, or really technically, I guess you could call it 23 personnel. Um with Pitts, but you know, Pitts kind of functions as a wide receiver at this point in time. But, um, you know, you had the three tight ends with Pitts, Lee Smith and Parker Hesse. You had the two running backs and Keith Smith and, and Cordero Patterson. And the Falcons then motioned those guys out, uh, to be an empty backfield. And you wind up having Keith Smith lined up, split out wide on one side, Parker Hesse split out wide on the other side. And sort of in the slot, you had, you know, Pitts and Lee Smith on one side and Patterson on the other side. And it essentially resulted in the Falcons going for it on a critical third and two without having many of their best pass catching personnel on the field. And when you think of that situation, if you're going to go with your heavy 23 personnel, um, you know, that's probably not a situation where you want to motion those guys out, right? You want to make the Bucks think that you're going to run the ball in that third and two and then hit them with play action with that heavy personnel. Or if you're going to go empty in that play, you probably want to have your best catches, best, best pass catchers on the field at that point in time. The Falcons really did neither, which is leading to the questions around that play call. And so one of the things I, I definitely want to watch when I watch the film again, uh, they showed a replay of Patterson running a hitch route and seemingly there was a quick window uh, where Matt Ryan could have found him, but Matt Ryan didn't throw it. And I don't know if it was because Matt Ryan was looking uh, did just the timing of it was it was too early for Matt Ryan to pull the trigger on the throw or uh, what I suspect was the case. Matt Ryan was kind of looking at uh, Kyle Pitts on the opposite side of the field running the slant. And we've talked about this in the past where, you know, a lot of times uh, this offense is not necessarily living up to its full potential because, you know, there have been various times over the last, you know, three or four weeks where it seems like Matt Ryan is locking on to Kyle Pitts and it hasn't necessarily made this offense as impactful as it could be. So that's definitely something I do want to revisit on the all 22, looking at that specific play. So after the Falcons punted the ball on fourth and 12, and it was a Thomas Morris dead punt, and he had a, a very good punt at, at that point, the Bucks basically proceeded to bleed five more minutes off the clock with a very methodical drive. They got a 36-yard play from Chris Godwin early in the game uh, or early in that series to get – he got behind the defense, and it was uh, one of many – 
plays that Godwin made in this game. He had an outstanding game going up against Falcons nickel cornerbacks, Richie Grant and Darren Hall, who were sort of platooning in that role throughout the game. Grant did exit the game uh, in midway through the third quarter with an ankle injury. So it was Hall in the game at this point in time playing that nickel cornerback spot. But Godwin finished the game with 15 catches for 143 yards. Uh, that 15 catches was a career high. 143 yards is not a career high for Chris Godwin because he had a 184-yard game against the Falcons way back in 2019. I'm sure many of you remember that infamous game. Uh, but this marks now the fourth 100-yard receiving game for Chris Godwin against the Falcons in his career. All four of those have come in his last six outings uh, going back to the Week 17 game uh, against the Falcons in 2018. But at least the Falcons did keep him out of the end zone this time as he hasn't been held uh, without a touchdown catch against the Falcons since his rookie year in 2017. Uh, Gage did his best to sort of match Godwin, uh, finishing the game with 11 catches for 130 yards. Both of those are career highs for him. This marks Gage's seventh game of his career where he's had 65 or more receiving yards. And this is the fifth of those seven games that has come against the Bucs. So we know that Gage, uh, you know, consistently eats against his team, but unfortunately it wasn't enough uh, today, but I digress. You know, the Bucks were able to bleed down the clock uh, after that punt uh, down to under the two minute warning and ultimately resulted in a 31 yard field goal from Ryan Suckup, And that pushed their lead to 30 to 17. The Falcons did get the ball back with about a minute 49 left in the game. Uh, three of gauges, 11 catches did come on that final drive. Uh, one of which he did injure himself, but didn't return to the game. But the key play on that final drive that put the Falcons uh, downfield and with a position to score at the very end of the game was a 30 yard uh, play to Alameda Zacchaeus, where he did a, a really good job job bobbling a sort of one-handed back shoulder throw down the field uh, that put the ball inside the Bucks 10 yard line. But unfortunately uh, Matt Ryan's next two passes were not completely to get the touchdown. Uh, Carlton Davis nearly picked off the throw on first down to Zacchaeus. And then on the second down play, the final play of the game, Matt Ryan hit uh, gauge high on the back of the end zone, but unfortunately maybe the injury had something to do with this, uh, but gauge wasn't able to re- re- secure that catch by climbing the ladder. Uh, and that was the end of the game. So, so the positives of this game are the Falcons did look competitive against a quality opponent. The first time we've seen that, that's progress from what we have seen so far from this team this season. We saw Matt Ryan bounce back after a very ugly game against Jacksonville and look very good, much improved in this game. He just needed a lot more support from his offensive line. We talked about how the Falcons needed a fast start. We hoped that we would see maybe a special teams touchdown from Cordero Patterson in this game. Uh, unfortunately, he did not return kicks. It was Avery Williams, but we did get a... um you know, defensive touchdown from Marlon Davidson with that pick six, which was the the biggest play of the game for the Falcons and really, you know, maybe put the fear of God in the box going into halftime. Uh, and that gave him a chance. But of course, those second half struggles on offense and the fact that the defense really couldn't get off the field uh, consistently enough on third downs uh, meant that, you know, the Falcons weren't able to pull off the improbable upset. And sort of we'll get into more of this game, talking more about the grades uh, for not only the offensive line, the offense, the defense, but the rest of the team. And we'll talk about the sort of familiar struggles of that Falcons offensive line. But does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows. You're watching sports highlights on your phone and you got your father's 
brothers, nephews, cousins, former roommate, Deborah's login for your preferred streaming service. Well, I want to tell you about a way that you can get all the entertainment you love without any of the hassle, a great way to finally get your TV together. That's called direct TV stream. It brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before. So you can watch your favorite sports movies and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes, no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part besides not having to borrow Deborah's login, there's no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with direct TV stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com compatible device required content varies by package. So giving out the game grades, as I do each and every week on these rapid reactions, looking at the pass offense, rushing offense, pass defense, rushing defense, and the special teams. Starting out with the pass offense, I give them a C-. minus. Again, I think Matt Ryan played well. Russell Gage had a career day. You know, Mike Davis looked like the player that we saw in Carolina last year, uh, being very elusive after the catch. He finished the game with four catches uh, for 37 yards. Kyle Pitts was mostly held in check. He had that big 29-yard play in the second quarter. But outside that, he finished the game with a relatively quiet four catches for 48 yards. Uh, the Falcons did have three explosive plays through the air, although one arguably came in garbage time with that Zacchaeus big play at the end of the game. So, you know, not as dynamic as you would want to see. But again, it's hard to generate explosive plays against this Bucks, uh defense. And so you had a couple of drops in this game, but nothing that was like too harrowing for the Falcons to overcome. It was mostly the pass protection that really held back this offense and this passing attack um and we've seen that happen a number of times against this box defense over the last couple of years as i said earlier it was the interior that really struggled two sacks for Indomitian Sue, two sacks for Vita Vea. Cam Gill did beat Jake Matthews for a sack in the second quarter, but it didn't necessarily have a huge negative impact on that drive as the Falcons were able to get those yards back on the ensuing play and continue to extend that drive at the beginning of the second quarter. But both Sue sacks and the one from Vea uh, did come on third downs in this game. Um, and, you know, Matt Ryan was hit 11 times in this game, which is, you know, unacceptable. Uh, so independent of the offensive line, you know, I, I think it was one of the better games we've seen from key Falcon skilled players uh, over the last month, especially. Um, but, you know, essentially, if you're getting uh, D level play from the, the offensive line and B level play from the skill positions, it's going to drag down the, the overall grade to a, a C minus as I gave it. Looking at the rushing offense, you know, the run game started off very strong. The Falcons had 101 rushing yards in the first half. They finished with 121. So that tells you how it went in the second half for them. Uh, overall, they finished with a success rate of 55%. But in the first first half, they were successful on 80% of the runs and only 30% in the second half. Uh, they continued to be predominantly a left-handed running attack. They had 10 design runs to the left side and only six to the right. And three of those ones to the right came in the fourth quarter that seemingly were just kind of perfunctory at that point in time where they're just kind of running the ball so that they don't get in a 100% passing attack, you know, down two scores at that point. Um, but, you know, running to the left side mostly worked for them today. Uh, and that's been the case the last couple of weeks. So maybe it's time to put that narrative that they can't run left to bed. Um, but, you know, I, I give the off the, the, 
running game and the offensive line credit for its success early in the game. But, you know, when the running game evaporated in the second half, that's when the offense's problems uh, really sort of got exasperated uh, in the first half. The Falcons had a success rate of 83% when they ran the ball on first down in the second half, they only ran the ball successfully on first downs 20% of the time. And when they couldn't rely on the running game to keep their offense on schedule on first downs, that put more pressure on the pass protection uh, and the ensuing plays. And you know how that goes, you know, when, they couldn't follow up an unsuccessful first down run with a successful second down pass play, usually some quick throw for five to seven yards, you know, bad things started to happen for this offense. And we've seen that time and time again over the years. Now, moving on to the pass defense, I gave them a D plus. This is the lowest grade I've given the pass defense all year long. I think when you look at it from one perspective and you sort of grade this unit on a curve, given how easily we've seen this Bucks offense carve them up, you know, you can make the case that this game was relatively speaking an improvement from what we've seen. They didn't give up as many big plays. Obviously Godwin had the big day. You know, you also saw positive performance or strong performance from Tom Brady, Gronk, Mike Evans. Gronk probably had a better game than his stat sheet said. He had four catches for 58 yards and two touchdowns. I think I saw that this was his first game with a touchdown since the week two game against the Falcons where he had two touchdowns then, but Gronk dropped seemingly like three passes in this game. So he probably would have had a much better stat line than it showed. And we, we've seen the Falcons, you know, inability to match up with these box receivers uh, continually get exposed. Their nickel cornerback with Godwin uh, doing his thing in the fact that they can't really match up any of their guys on Gronk um, like they've had in the past. Uh, so they did get a little bit of pressure on a, on a handful of plays in this game but it only resulted in one quarterback hit and no sacks for the Falcons. So clearly it was not a, enough to really affect this game uh, all that much. And again, if you're grading on a curve, I think we've seen worse performances from this Falcons defense against this Bucks offense. Uh, so I, I think you can progress it that way, but overall, you know, objectively without sort of that sort of bias inherent into it, it's hard to give this past defense anything more than a D plus grade. Uh, no, given how much the Patriots threw the ball, I think they dropped back 52 times in this game and given how efficient they were in the, in the fact that they could do whatever they really wanted uh, through the air, whether it was throwing the Godwin, throwing the Gronk, throwing the Evans, um, you, you can't really give the Falcons pass defense much of a pot a better grade than that. And so it was, it was clear from play one that the Bucks had no respect for the Falcons pass defense. They threw the ball 13 times on 13 plays on their opening drive in the game. And then they threw it like four out of six times on their second possession. So basically their 20 play script includes like 17 passing plays, right? If they scripted the first 20 plays, they scripted 17 passing plays. And even in the fourth quarter, when they were already up two scores, they started out like that last scoring drive, uh, throwing the ball four times before they started milking clock uh, in earnest with the running game. And so, like, that's just telling you exactly what you, you know, you can't get disrespected like that uh, and, and not really fight back in the in the way that you want to see. So D-plus for the Fal Falcons pass defense. Run defense, I, I give them a C, you know, on the rare occasions that the Bucks did run the football. The Falcons did a decent job stopping the Bucks finish with a success rate of 44% on 16 design runs. You know, Stephen Means led the team 
along with uh, Foye Aluakun uh, for the, the lead with two run stops in this game. So a okay game return for Stephen Means as a run defender, but obviously he did not impact the game much at all as a pass rusher. Moving on to the special teams, this was the bright spot of the team today. It was B+. Plus. Another great day for reigning special teams uh, player of the week, Thomas Morstead, uh, in his second game as the Falcons punter, who uh, did his job on his one real attempt, also did a good job on kickoffs. Avery Williams, as I said earlier, returned uh, kickoffs, stepping in for Cordero Patterson there, and of course, returned punts. He had a decent kickoff at the very end of the game on the final possession. Uh, and then the the punt stuff, you know, that one play was a little sketchy. Uh, but, you know, other than that, you know, and then you factor in the coverage units, special teams did a, 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 their job, right? You know, despite that one almost turnover, I'm giving them a B plus. So that will do it for the grading portion of the game. And we'll sort of get into more of the conversation surrounding, you know, Arthur Smith, his coaching. We'll talk a little bit more about his play calling. We'll talk about if this game, you know, should we blame Arthur Smith and, and spoiler alert, I'm not blaming Arthur Smith for the Falcons loss. We just know the Bucs are, are a better football team. Um, and, you know, we'll get more into the conversation over what sort of things that Arthur Smith showed today that were improvements and certain things that he may need to continue to improve upon if the Falcons are, the next time they play a team like the Bucks, or in the upcoming weeks where they're playing teams not as good as the Bucks, will we see you know a better outcome than what we got uh, this Sunday on Week 13? But uh, before we get into all of that, guys, I want to thank you for making Lockdown Falcons your first listen each and every day. And of course, I always have recommendations for what your second listen should be. And of course, if you're local to the Atlanta area, I'm sure you can check out Lockdown Braves, Lockdown Hawks, and you know much as as many of you might be disappointed uh you know lockdown bulldogs has you covered for all the reaction to the sec championship game uh and what is in store for this georgia team as they head to the college football playoffs you know unfortunately georgia fans not everybody can root for a college football team uh, that won their conference uh this year hail to pit go ACC champions, but uh, I I won't rub any more salt into that wound as we continue today's Locked On Falcons podcast because it is the holiday season and it's a perfect time to grab a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar and in fact, even better than a protein bar. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about Built Bars, the best tasting protein bar on the market. They are rich with decadent flavor covered in chocolate, but they're healthy too. Low in sugar, calories, carbs, and fat, but high in protein and fiber. You get the best of both worlds, both delicious and healthy. There's so many flavors. You'll have a hard time choosing. You can get old favorites like peanut butter, brownie, coconut, almond, salted caramel. You got new ones like blueberry muffin, paranormal pumpkin, white chocolate cheesecake, caramel almond delight, and caramel macchiato, a limited time flavor now on sale at built. Dot com built bar gives you the extra fuel that you'll need this holiday season to endure those endless shopping lines battle all those holiday shoppers for a great deal. But built bar of course has a great deal for you at built.com. All you got to do head over to the website and use the promo code locked 15 and you'll get 15% off your order. Again, that's locked 15 for 15% off at built.com. It's 
the holiday season, of course, and BetOnline has had you covered all season long and still does with more odds, props, and lines than ever as we march towards both the NFL and college football playoffs. BetOnline remains the number one spot for all your sports action this season from playoff football to regular season basketball and hockey to boxing, the UFC, all the way to your favorite Vegas casino games. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports or head to the new updated desktop or mobile website at betonline.ag sign up today use the promo code locked on and you'll get a 50 percent welcome bonus don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available at betonline where the game starts so rather than doing what the rest of you guys are probably going to wind up doing and looking for a scapegoat to blame for uh, today's disappointment, particularly the second half struggles of the Falcons, you know, the reality is that we know the Falcons lost to the Bucks because the Bucks are better than them. That's not some great revelation. Uh, and, and that's not me sort of being hypocritical with my anti-talent deficiency stance or whatever the case may be. Like we've known this, you know, even going back, even before Tom Brady showed up that the Bucks were arguably a more talented team than the Falcons. We knew that the Falcons, if they had any chance to win this game, they were going to have to play above themselves or the Bucks were going to have to lay an egg. We didn't get the Bucks laying an egg, uh, but it did at least seem like the Falcons early on in this game were prepared to come and play today and punch the Bucks in the mouth. We got a good start by the running game. We got a defensive touchdown. We got good day by the special teams. But unfortunately, the defenses and offensive lines inability to match up with the Bucs again proved to be their Achilles heel. And that's been a common theme throughout this season, whether it's against the Bucs or other teams. If you're looking at three areas of the roster that have consistently let the team down, held them back from reaching their goals this season to being a more competitive team, it has been the offensive line. It has been the lack of pass rush. And it has there been their inability to match up uh, man-to-man in the back end. And those are arguably the three biggest needs heading into the offseason that the team should and will be expected to address. Now, speaking of their ability to match up on the back end, you can we can certainly have a conversation if that's really what uh, Dean Pease wants to do and, and be more of this man-heavy team that the Falcons have sort of slowly transitioned into over the past uh, month or so since their bye week. Um, you know, we know about Dean Pease is that he's going to play to what he perceives to be the strengths of his team. And so this zone heaviness early in the season was probably a testament uh, to him, not necessarily trusting in uh, the ability of of the guys on the back end to man up teams. And it looked like we saw more man uh, today against the bucks. than we saw in that week two game where the Falcons came out and played a ton of cover two in that game and got carved up in that game. Um, but we've seen a lot more man from this team overall, as I said, over the last, you know, five or six weeks, uh, since the early part of the season. And that's probably a testament to the fact, again, to this point about Dean Pease playing to what he perceives to be the strengths or playing against the weaknesses of his team. The fact that the Falcons have been having to rely on a lot more younger players to play on the back end means that he's probably simplifying his defense to a certain extent and playing a lot more man coverage to avoid some of the zone, uh, busts and, and mental errors that we have seen and we saw, you know, on display today as well. So we'll have to sort of see if, you know, Dean Peace really wants to be this man heavy defense in the future or if he's or, you know, if playing the zone stuff is something that he prefers to do. And obviously that will affect what they plan to do this offseason. But, you know, we're, we're still in December. You know, we can really talk about that in earnest come January, February, March, et cetera. So 
You know, I'm not going to do the thing that I think a lot of you guys are expecting me to do and be like, oh, the Falcons lost today because Arthur Smith is a bad coach. I don't really believe that the Falcons lost today because Arthur Smith, you know, screwed them over or anything like that. You know, one of the things I'm going to do is I'm going to wait to before I get too judgmental to watch the film on Tuesday, report back to you guys on Wednesday what I see as I do every single week on the Lockdown Falcons podcast. There were certainly some head-scratching decisions in this game. Certainly, I think it's fair to criticize Arthur Smith at this point in time without seeing the film uh, for some of those decisions. Um, you know, it was weird seeing Arthur Smith not being as conservative as he's been uh, through the first, you know, 12 weeks of this season uh, at the one yard line where the Falcons seemingly got very pass heavy. Uh, that's probably the one time where you're like, OK, Arthur Smith, maybe your proclivity to run the ball uh, makes a lot of sense at this point in time, especially given how much success the Falcons had had running the football. Uh, then you had that third and two play call where they went empty with the heavy formation being a head scratcher. Then you can certainly make the, the the claim that, you know, when they failed to punch it in from that one yard line, the fact that the Falcons decided to settle for three instead of trying to go forward, you know, on fourth and goal from the three yard line, you know, you could certainly question that decision to a certain extent, as well as the decision to punt the ball late in the game on that fourth and 12 with about seven minutes left in the game near midfield. Again, questionable game management management decision right there. But as I've explained in the past, you know, uh, if I wind up watching the film and I come away thinking like a half dozen play calls or decisions were questionable, you know, out of a game that featured 69 such play calls, you know, that's still only that's still over 90 percent of the play calls that were fine, that weren't necessarily questionable. And it's hard for me to be too judgmental and too critical of the play call. You know, my issue has always been to clarify it's never to sort of label Arthur Smith as a bad coach or a bad play caller or whatever the case may be. When I have been critical of him, um, I think too often, you know, because there's a tendency to uh, interpret criticism as blaming uh, because there's too often blaming in this headspace. And I don't I don't necessarily believe in blaming things on a player or a coach or or whatever ownership or, or whatever you guys like to blame things on, you know, I, I just like, you know, constructive criticism. At least I see it as constructive criticism. And I think what happens is when I'm critical of Arthur Smith, you guys interpret that as blaming. And that's why you, many of you uh, push back so heavily, you know, and, and deflect that criticism or really that blame to the talent level and the deficiencies. And the point I've been trying to express these last couple of weeks on this podcast, as frequently as I continue to rehash these same arguments and debates is, you know, I don't know if at this point in time, if we know if Arthur Smith is a good coach or not. And my point is that we're going to need him to be a good coach. If this Falcons team is going to reach their goals, which, you know, is not only being a perennial playoff team and hopefully a Super Bowl contender, uh, but also to avoid the fate where they're going to be basically have their team completely nuked and tore down, you know, within at some point within the next two or three years. Um, and I think, you know, our fan base wants to look at the team's five and seven record and tell itself that, you know, oh, look, we're, we're improved from last year and we're doing it despite the fact that we have a significantly less talent and the fact that we've won those games is a testament to how good a coach is because a lot of that has been hinging on, you know, the narrative that people have been telling themselves for the better part of the last two years that all of our problems stemmed all of that blame directed at the coaching staff for the Falcons shortcomings. And I, I feel like that's a, a false narrative. Um, um, and I think 
now that narrative has shifted to, you know, basically blaming, you know, it's all talent related as the Falcons shortcomings. And as I pointed out already today, no one's denying that the Falcons would benefit from more talent on the roster. No one's denying that the Bucks are a significantly more talented team than the Falcons. But I think the cold, harsh reality is that the Falcons now five and seven record is more a reflection of their soft schedule than improved coaching. And contrary to popular opinion, um, you know, it's hard to sit here and say right now, based off of what we have seen over 12 games, uh, if the Falcons have really upgraded their coaching staff in a major way. Now, you know, I don't think also that we can say that the Falcons have downgraded their talent in a, in, in a major way. I don't think the, the loss of talent, the deficiencies of talent are as substantial as some would claim. And obviously I could continue to rant and go deeper on that. Uh, but I will let that go for today. I'm sure we'll get another opportunity to speak on some of those issues uh, later this week, as we have spoken on those issues so many times over the last three or, or so weeks. So it's not me blaming Arthur Smith. It's just me saying that I think this, he's going to have to be better if this team is going to make a playoff run, not only this year and or next year, especially when the schedule gets a whole lot harder in 2022. So it's really like if Arthur Smith is just a C plus or B minus level head coach. And for me right now, it's hard for me to, to imagine anybody thinking at this point in time that we've seen enough from him to say that he's more than that. Um, then that to me is not going to be good enough given the circumstances that are ahead of him and this football team in the near future. So we'll just sort of have to see how that plays out. But obviously, you know, the, there's no sort of finality on the Arthur Smith conversation. We're going to continue having that on this podcast this year uh, and into the future as we continue to uh, collect data to in order to determine where sort of Arthur Smith fits on that. But that's kind of the point I've been trying to make these last couple of weeks, if that has not been clear. Now, before we leave out today, let's talk a little bit about some of the positives. We did see the team be competitive against a quality opponent. We haven't really seen that happen this year outside of that Saints game. And in retrospect, given the Saints struggles, that win does not look nearly as impressive uh, today as it did, you know, what was it, five weeks ago when it happened or four weeks ago when it happened. Um, we've also seen the running game seemingly get to a level of competence over the last couple of weeks, and that was on display early in this game. We got a winnable game coming up next week against Carolina, who's breaking in a brand-new offensive coordinator. If you didn't hear the news, they fired Joe Brady, their offensive coordinator, during this uh, on Sunday, uh, this being their bye week. Uh, then the following week, we got San Francisco. Uh, that's a team that has been scoring um, you know, quite a bit of uh, uh, points these last couple of weeks uh, pretty consistently. So we're going to need this offense to be you know, on – on track if if the point is going to be to outscore that team. Um, and then, of course, you got a game against Detroit. And fortunately, our brothers from Minnesota, we know that the Vikings and Falcons fans are basically the same fan base, just in a different part of the country. And, you know, one of them eats, uh, you know, Jello, and the other one eats chicken wings. <laughs> I don't know, stereotyping Minnesota people. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, the Falcons now are – uplifted with the burden of being the team that loses to the Detroit lions. Uh, so kudos to our brothers up North for taking care of business uh, for us. And we don't have necessarily have to go into that game worried that, Oh no, the Falcons are going to be the only team that loses to the, to the lions this year. So, you know, this three game stretch is good. is going to tell us, you know, continue to inform us about this team, this coaching staff, as well as these players. So I'm, 
obviously I think there are things that they can build off of. You know, the thing I continue to stress is all I ask from this team is a entertaining competitive football game. I think we got mostly that they were able to, you know, weather the storm of this Bucks team for two and a half quarters. And my stance has been that they have more than enough talent to do that against every single team that they face this year, which is part of the reason why I don't necessarily buy in the whole talent deficiency thing. But, um, you know, we'll just sort of have to see if we continue to see the team build off of this win and some of their recent success and whether or not they can improve on some of their non-success uh, on Sunday as well as recent games as we continue today's um, or as we continue this season's games and whether or not the Falcons can hold on to their, what, like 4% chance of making the playoffs as various data analytics websites seem to insist. And, and basically if they don't basically, you know, go three and O over these next uh, couple of weeks, it's going to be hard for them, but we'll, we'll sort of have to see, right. I think two and one will keep them in the hunt, but we'll just sort of have to see how that goes. But uh, that's where we'll leave it guys. And uh, before we duck out of here, I'll give you another recommendation for your second listen after you check out today's Locked On Falcons. And that's, of course, the Locked On Bets podcast. If you want to make a little bit of money, they can put some extra money in your pocket after you spent it for your holiday gift giving this season or if you want to add a little bit of those ducats uh in order to you know uh blow away your your family and your friends with some more extravagant extravagant gifts of course locked on bets is probably the best thing for you as lee sterling the handicapping expert on that podcast each and every day is giving you his daily picks, his blowout specials, and of course his lock of the day. And Lee has been killing it uh, so far this season. So definitely check out the Lockdown Bets podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. So guys, there you have it. We'll be back with another topic. I haven't booked a guest quite yet. Uh, we might talk about some other things. Um, you know, than the, the usual Tuesday show with a guest, but we'll sort of have to see. We'll play it by ear uh, if there's some things that we can uh, talk about. And so we'll get into that potentially on tomorrow. And of course, we'll be back Wednesday with an all 22 review and a Q&A. And if you have questions that you want to have answered potentially on tomorrow or Wednesday show, of course, you can hit me up on Twitter at Locked on Falcons, Facebook at Locked on Falcons, email address is Locked on Falcons at mail.com. And of course, you can leave a comment here on the Locked on Falcons YouTube channel. So guys, that will do it. I hope, uh, you know. I hope you're you're doing fine after this loss. It's unfortunate, but you know I, I wouldn't necessarily take it to heart. I think we got a much more competitive game than many of us thought we would see, um, and so that's something you know better than nothing at this point in time with the Falcons. And we'll see what's next for this Falcon team as we continue on Locked On Falcons this season. Appreciate it. Till then.